Hello and welcome to episode 49 of The Game Pit and this is our first of this year's Essen Treasure Hunt episodes. So Sean and I do get very excited about going across to Spiel at Essen. We're both going to make it this year for a couple of days each and we will be bringing you coverage before, hopefully during, if our plans come together and afterwards, discussing the games that are coming, the games we've played and looked at while we're there and then obviously wrapping up once we've had a chance to go over the games a bit more and hopefully we'll invite some more of our contributors in for those episodes. So, for the next month, we're going to be running the rule over some of the new games coming out at the Spiel. And Sean, how do we do it? In a nutshell, we have a look at the games that catch our eye. And then we basically decide if we go, we like them. We're going to decide if they're trap or treasure. Now, one thing we do like to stress when we do those these episodes, we have not played these games. Our opinions are quite likely to change. Especially mine, Ronan's is a little bit better at picking out the treasures from the traps than I am. <laughs> if you look at the track record, I don't think either of us can so, play. Yeah, I'm just some people do get a little bit uh, excited when we do say that the game's a trap. We haven't played it. It's just our opinions from afar. I look forward to the abusive publisher and designer. <laughs> no, it floats your boat, doesn't it, Ronan? <laughs> uh, so yes, just. First impressions, don't take it too seriously. Maybe you'll hear us chat about something that might catch your eye or you're looking forward to coming out in the next couple of months. We can be found at the Dice Tower Network. You can go there for gaming podcasts of the very highest quality. Also, we are very proud members of 2d6.org. Go there for audio, visual and written gaming content. Right, I'm going to kick off this episode with a dice game, and here is a really quick overview of Dice City. It's designed by Evangelis Bagiartakis, and comes out of AEG and Artipia games. It's one to four players with a 45 to 60 minute range. It is a city building game with dice, and described by the publisher as a dice crafting game. Players are leaders of noble families in the kingdom of, wait for it, of Roldovia. <laughs> vying to make their city the new capital after the original Dyness what what was destroyed by barbarians <laughs> so each player is going to have five dice uh, there's going to be a white, a yellow, a red, a blue and a black and you're going to have a play mat with 30 locations and a 5 by 6 grid on your play mat you, you have basic locations that are going to harvest low qualities of resources military or victory points and you can access them by rolling your dice and placing them on the grid you also have an opportunity to do a number of things including use the die to resolve abilities move the dice left and right change the uh, available location so lots of things you can do with these dice you can also attack each other there's an attack step where you can use the military locations that your dice are on to attack either other players or barbarians and you're going to be able to build new locations as i said there's a stack of cards that bring in new locations that are going to cover your board and that's 
pretty much it, Ronan. The end game conditions, I think, if you complete three rows on your grid, on your board, then you finish the game, or the Barbarian stack goes down. But yeah, very simple dice-building city game, Ronan. So, why this game looks interesting to me, Sean, it's from the designer of Among the Stars. He's already done a simple drafting game. Here he's doing a simple dice-rolling game. So he's got a little bit of pedigree there. Why I've got concerns, just from initial impressions on this... If you save up and buy a cool building, it goes and becomes one of your 30 in that grid. And your chance of hitting it with a particular dice is 1 in 30. Okay, you're rolling 5. It might be as high as 5 in 30, but not all dice can go everywhere. I know there are buildings which manipulate where you can place the dice. I just feel like it's going to feel very slow to get going if you're just covering one space at a time. That was one of my concerns. I think, as you said, there are buildings that they have said that will manipulate certain rows. So if you want to concentrate all your production buildings on a certain row, there are going to be buildings that feed into that. You can also take a die off the board to move another one left or right, one space. So there's ways of getting to those buildings that you build. But yeah, you're not going to be able to hit all of them. So they claim that it's actually quite tactical where you put your dice and a lot of people are going in saying that oh, it doesn't look like it but by the end of the game they understand and oh yeah I understand what you're saying so I think a lot of people have that concern Ronan. So you know you're saying I'm right is what you're saying? No I'm saying that <laughs> you're starting off right but apparently you're going to be proved wrong. Okay <laughs> the other thing I have is it brings me back to into cold sweats about last lesson. You can attack other players buildings mm. and which building you want to attack you're going to have to know what buildings they have. I think actually the game looks great and the buildings look great and it all looks lovely but are you going to be able to see what each other building the other players have got are as in Imperial Settlers? Is it going to be a pain to say I can attack a building, which building should I attack? Alright, let me run around the table and just check which of your 30 buildings I want to attack now. My answer to that would be that you're all going to start with the same 30 buildings. The game finishes when you've got two or three rows so I don't think you're going to come anywhere close to completing the whole board so I don't think it's going to be like Imperial Settlers when you've got 20 30 plus cards where people are just stacking up on their side of the table I looked at the cards in terms of are they clear it's a lot clearer than Imperial Settlers they are it it is a lot clearer but there's still lots of information on them there is but I think there are duplicates of buildings they're not all completely unique I get the impression, I was completely wrong about Imperial Settlers, that was on my absolute definite treasure list and I pre-ordered it and yeah, so don't listen to me, but I've got a feeling that this one is going to be a lot easier to play. Okay, so in summary for me, he's done this sort of dice rolling game, simple dice rolling game, but they're not for me. We are going to do a special episode pit fight on dice games coming up in the next month or two. And we're going to talk a lot more about them. But in all honesty, it's not my genre. I don't like it that much. I think few games do innovative things with it. In fact, we're going to preview one coming up, I think, which I do like the sound of. But for this, for me, it's just a trap. It sounds a bit like a gamer's matchy coro. Now, that is going to sound perfect to some players. And good luck to you. Have a look at Dice City. It's got lots going for it. But to me, it just, I'm out. I don't want this one. I can't believe you didn't mention the art. (laughs) I said it looks great. Do you? I thought you hated it. No, not this one. That's coming up later. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't be ruining my surprise. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I, I actually, well, when I first saw this, I was like, Ronan's going to hate that. But okay, fair enough. Why do you think I was going to hate it? Because it's that really that colourful, little cutesy, almost almost like Imperial Settlers, and you hate it. It's, it's, it's like, I get what you mean, it's like the computer graphics that are not meant to look exactly real. Certain things are sort of yeah. hyper-realised. Ah, no, I don't mind it, because I, I think it all looks nice, and I think the colour of the different types of cards is clear, and how much they cost are quite clear. I just think there's a lot of information on there, and it's not going to be as easy to see when there's 30 all lined up really close to each other as I would like. But in terms of overall look, I don't mind the look of it at all. Oh, cool. For me, I like city building games, I like dice games. So, and this game seems interactive, light, but with enough sort of reactionary provocation to actually make it interesting. So, I'm going to say it's a treasure, and I will almost definitely buy this one in Essen. So, we probably will be reviewing it sometime soon. Yay. <laughs> Dice City, okay, and in these episodes you'll be hearing us complaining about the amount of information available for certain games and praising certain companies for the information available. At least with Dice City, there's decent stuff available. You can find out about the game, so thank you very much, Artipia Games. Moving on to the other end of the uh, scale for a game I was very excited about and I can't find out much, it's Castellian. This is from Shaddy Torbay. Now, Shaddy is the designer of Honorim, Urbian, and if you listened to my solo episode, Sylvian, it is a game published by Z-Man Games, who are huge, Terra Mystica, Robbers of Crusoe, Russian Railroads, Pandemic, etc, etc. It's for one to two players for about 15 minutes plays, and it's set in the Oniverse, the same as Honorim, Urbian, and Sylvian. It's one of those sort of solo-focused games. How is this one different? Well... Steamed around, a castle is under attack from Dream Denizens. There's a pile of tiles. This is as far as we can tell, by the way. And this is all has to be taken by a pinch of salt. Sean's going to cut in soon on this issue. But as far as we know, there's a pile of tiles. You flip a tile over and you decide how to use it. You can use it to build as a component in your castle. Or you can use it as some other form of action. You're going to create your castle. You're going to create ranks with keeps and towers. And then there are three Dream huge monsters which are going to attack your castle and tear it apart and you're trying to have six tiles in the end to win that's as much as we know i've gleaned that information from very little available online i think sean you can start your rant now yeah ronan i think you obviously haven't visited either of the publishers websites i mean this is you've been silly aren't you so you've got philosophy of games and uh they've got uh, a massive Coming soon, on their on yeah. their yeah on their website yeah yeah coming, yeah. coming soon coming soon coming soon. That's and good to know. As we do our research on this, uh, Essen is what five weeks away. Five weeks, five weeks. I mean, it might be a uh, out by the time the episode airs, but five weeks to go, nothing coming soon. Sorry, coming soon. It's Z-Man that has nothing. That's right. That's right. Z-Man don't... You, you do a web search on the Z-Man site and it comes up with... Sorry, we, we don't know what you're talking about. Not, not even listed. Not even listed. Not even listed. Not. They've done well promoting this one. They've really pushed it out there, got the rules out quickly, allowed everyone to see what's going on. So, from what I can tell, I actually think a castle defense game lends itself to the Oniverse thematically really well. 
it almost had to be made. <laughs> There's always this sort of impending doom approaching and castle defence, perfect. Um, yeah, I'm not a fan of the artwork. Haven't been for any of them, but that's about all I can really say. So, uh, are you, on all the information you got, treasure or trap? I am going to say... It's actually a difficult one. I, I'm, I'm going to say it's a trap. If you can't even be bothered to get the information out, it just makes me worry. I think Z-Man's a trap. That's <laughs> a trap is here. So clearly I've included it based just purely on Shaddy's track record, the other Oniverse games, the fact that the tile laying sounds different if indeed that's what it turns out to be. I like the fact that there's supposed to be three powerful monsters rather than the waves of monsters you tend to get in the other ones. Oh, yeah, they're not all the same, but you get what I mean. So for the track record, it means I have to go and look at it. I have to go and see it. I have to try and give it a go. More than likely going to buy it just based on the Oniverse before. But Z-Man Games, come on. You've got to do better than this. This is ridiculous. Not happy. Not happy. Sean, take me to a happier place. <laughs> I'm going to take you to Egypt, Mr. Rice. And Ooh. I'm going to take you to the favour, spelt incorrectly, of the Pharaoh. How, How many times have I typed in favour off there to find it a board game geek? Oh, God. Oh, it no, really, it, it actually, I, I know, I know, I'm just being a, an English snob, but it really bothers me. I really, I just want to break into Essen on the Wednesday and write a U on all the boxes. <laughs> every single one, you, you, you. That's everyone from America gone. Goodbye, thanks for your time. So, what is Favour of the Pharaoh? Well, it is released by Bezier Games, designed by Tom Lehman, two to four players, 45 minutes, but the most important bit of information is this is a re-implementation of To Court the King, which is one of my favourite dice games. They've put an Egyptian theme on it. For any of you who don't know what To Court the King is, it's a Yahtzee-style game where you're going to work your way through the court, collecting various characters from the court are going to give you more dice or ways to manipulate your dice in some way as i said just roll dice set one aside roll the rest set them one aside trying to get various combinations pairs trebles runs odds evens and they're going to allow you to gather these characters in they're going to make your dice rolling better in some way so how does it differ from to court the king well there are going to be more cards much more cards way more cards and not all of them are going to be used in every game which is what happened in to court the king so that definitely is something to look forward to it's going to give much more variety uh, there are cards that are going to give one-off powers and there are tokens that can be gained to do similar things to that give you give you one-off powers there are also different dice in the game that are going to allow bonuses depending on the results showing that's what it is Ronan. it's if you like to court the king it's something to be interested in well, what is there not to like? Well, there you go. Because I did enjoy To Court the King. So, it looks better. It's got nice pieces. Whoa, 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 whoa. It looks It better. really doesn't. It. Oh, the only person. Those, the cards are, are so sparse. It's just... No, the iconography is really good, actually. But the artwork and the sparsity of the cards is just... Sean Rice, the army of one. <laughs> it looks better... It's got nicer bits. I'm really not fussed what the theme is. I know you weren't taken by the Egyptian thing. I don't really care. It's got more variety to it, which is going to be great. It's still just a dice chucker. And I, this is the one I was talking about when we were just talking about Dice City. But 
If I'm going to play a dice chucker, it has to sit in the middle ground between not brainless, so zombie dice is fine for five minutes, but don't make it last any longer than five minutes, and not too much fiddliness, not too much resource management, and just fiddling around score points and this and that. And that. This does it perfectly. I make a few decisions. I throw some dice. I'm trying to put together a little bit of strategy, some special powers to manipulate the dice that go together. I like my dice games like I like my zombie games. Straight and to the point, but with decisions, not rules getting in the way of what I've got to do. That's why I like to court the king. That's why I like this. Don't go in here because I, I think it might have a decent, fairly hefty price point on it. Don't go expecting too much depth. Don't expect a heavy strategy game. Don't expect it to rewrite what you can do with dice games it's dice rolling done right it's a treasure for me i'm going to agree off the bat ronan but just a little bit of information i think this is already going to be one of the big big hits of the sm fair pre-orders have been suspended because they were just going so well it's probably going to sell out so get it quick if you want it i think for me having the variety is absolutely key it's the only thing that would make me look at something like this because i have to court the king if you're just going to re-implement it with the same cards and the same things then what's the point but yeah all these variety i really like the thought of these dice that are going to come in the one-off powers lots and lots of variety in terms of the actual cards themselves you're not going to use the same ones and the fact that Bezier have even designed an app to help you set up and randomize the card layout gives you an idea of how many cards are in this box so for me a definite treasure So, the next game we're going to cover is probably going to be the biggest board gaming release of this year and for a few years. My prediction. It is Pandemic Legacy, coming from Z-Man Games and designers Matt Leacock and Rob Davio for two to four players. Six months ago, they had more than 50,000 pre-orders for this game. <laughs> That's how big it's going to be. This is going to be everywhere. You probably know what Pandemic is. The starting gameplay is very similar to Pandemic in this. Obviously what they've done is they've married it to Rob Davio's legacy system, which means that you're going to be playing for a maximum of 24 games, which take place over 12 months, and it's the story of a year. And the gameplay and the characters within the game are going to change over the course of that year. Each city, for example, has got panic levels on the board, and they start off on panic level zero, and every time there's an outbreak in that city, it goes up a panic level, and they're going to start having different negative actions on that city. There's packets in the game, which means that you open them when certain triggers happen during the course of these linked 12 to 24 games, every minute it takes you to finish the campaign. There are going to be stickers you have to put on the board. There are going to be cards you tear up. There are going to be extra power cards you put in and out. The game comes with um, eight event cards, which is how you seed the deck. This is a very interesting thing of how it works with difficulty. You get a funding level, which tells you how many events you get to put into the deck. 
and the worse you're doing the more event cards you can put in which will help you out so if you start doing really poorly and going downhill the game will actually give you a little bit of a nudge and help you out and try and get you back on course so you can enjoy the campaign because you basically get two goes at each month of the year so if you fail February twice you will still move on to March but things will not be going as well for you as they could do obviously if you're winning some of the games there's special things there like if you lose four games in a row there's a packet there that you can open at that point when you choose a character to be in the campaign that character is going to stay with you they can get traumatized by things that happen in the game so they can lose powers they can also get extra powers to make them more powerful and again that's all going to happen throughout the play and how things happen and each player of the game is going to be different if you actually get three scars three bad things happen to your character it dies and then you become a civilian and you lose all your special powers and that's not going to be easy I'm guessing there's going to be components to help deal with that if you become a civilian. I don't know exactly. There's lots of things they don't want to spoil about the game, obviously. They want you to discover as you go on through. There are things like collapsing cities. So if the panic level gets very high, that city will start collapsing. It'll be more difficult to move in and out of. You can get trapped in it if it fully collapses, which can really badly affect your character. It's Pandemic. But a pandemic of a story that goes onwards and onwards, a board which you are going to be writing on, putting stickers on, creating and affecting as you go through playing your games with the same game group. Sean, Pandemic Legacy, hit me. Otherwise known as License to Print Money. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, this one's been a long time coming. It's garnered a lot of excitement. If there was ever going to be something that was going to make me like Pandemic, because it wasn't my, it's not my favourite game, I never really got on with it, didn't really understand the love for it, it's actually adding that story to it. Now that is going to appeal to me, putting that narrative in, making the characters real, as Ronan said, that they can die, they can get injured when they're injured, they get hampered. I like the fact that you have this sort of mechanism in built in the game, so when you are doing badly it actually helps you along but when you're doing well it's just going to keep piling on until until you do badly but it's going to keep that flow of the game where you always have something to grasp for it's adding what i like to the game why wouldn't i like it i definitely want to give it a go only issue running i think it's something that you have to buy for yourself it's not going to be something that you're going to be able to just casually play is it no but that's the whole point of a legacy game like any sort of campaign game that's what it's all based on I've got a ready made play group at home or my two girls and my uh, partner all love the game so that's cool <laughs> this is the four of us we're ready to play we all like Pandemic <laughs> are you going to buy the red and blue I would buy the purple green yellow if I could this is the most <laughs> nailed on treasure that ever treasured in treasure land definitely I'm buying it that's it give me four copies I love it it couldn't be any better Woo! really excited uh, is it a treasure gonna... or a trap? For me... For... You were wrong about Pandemic anyway, so no one should listen to you. They shouldn't do, no. no. <laughs> it's been noted. But I think it's a treasure. I think the game will be a treasure. But am I going to buy it? Probably not. If you were kind enough to keep one of your copies aside so that we could play it, then I would probably really enjoy it. But I'm not going to buy it, and I'm, I'm not going to take the plunge. So for me personally, it's a trap, but... I think I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to place a 50 pence bet on myself that you come back from messing with a copy. Mm, go on, then. off your pop. <laughs> next! Okay, so next up from me is Automania. This is coming from Kenneth Minder, 
who's this is his first game, but uh, the more famous designer is Christian Amundsen Usterby, and Christian is famous for the Escape and Doodle City. Uh, Porter Games is the publisher with two to four players. It is an economic worker placement game where you are in a car factory producing what you hope are popular cars for the Euro and the American markets. Now you're going to do this by customising your assembly lines and your workforce to make these cars more desirable. As I said, you're going to produce cars you've got contract cards in this game that are going to give you extra points if you manage to produce them in in certain ways the other interesting thing for, about this game is the way you actually take your actions you place your worker on the edge of a column or a row and then you choose anything in that row or column and there's ways that you can block each other and if you want to go on the same line you have to outbid so that's an interesting mechanic in the game but generally it's an economic game as i said where you're producing cars ronan and you love the artwork what are you doing to me what what are you doing to me with these graphics <laughs> you love the artwork come on where are you playing these games for <laughs> oh. why it has actually garnered, garnered. That's my word of the day today. I've got to stop. Is the onus on garnered? The onus has now moved <laughs> to garnered. It's actually started a massive pylon, really, on board game geek with people giving out about the artwork. It, um, shocking. I don't hate it. I don't hate it's it. It's shocking. It's not shocking. Why? Well, Why find surprises? There's a designer diary up on board game geek, and they showed that they moved away from more realistic to. Like more cutesy, like that dude's nose. <laughs> What's going on? Like, I don't Office mean, manager, I don't dude. He's got like a nose, like a like. Wait, he doesn't look like a person. It's it's okay. I think it's functional. It's, it's horrific. Okay. Absolutely horrific. Horrific's a bit strong. Oh, anyway, anyway, just, listen. We're gonna get bogged down on that. How does it match a game about producing cars? A Euro <laughs> game about producing cars. I suppose you had to set it aside from Kanban from last year. Uh, setting it aside doesn't sound like a bad idea anyway uh, right. so it's cutesy it's, they've gone for the cutesy look okay they've put a seemingly simple flow in there much different to Kanban Kanban's lots well not that many steps but it seemed a lot harder to kind of get things optimised and see what you're trying to do in here there's a clear objective the market is dynamic it changes from round to round and you know what you're trying to do oh look if I sell family cars this turn they'll, I'll get such and such it seems quite forgiving if you're short of money, you can get sponsors. If you're short of stars, which you need for certain contracts, you can just get marketing with a worker. But to me, it seems a little bit caught between a rock and a hard place. It seems aimed at the family market in terms of clearly what they've done with those graphics and with the simple sort of flow to it. But there seem to be, in my opinion, too many exceptions to the rules that provided overheads that I think will kill it with the plus sales for having someone as marketing manager, increased popularity for having someone as a research manager, the office manager we mentioned before, trying to match the contracts to your facilities. It all seemed to be a little bit too tied together. Again, they've gone forgiven. The last player gets to choose the demand for the next year, which is kind of like gamers aren't really going to like that. So you're aiming at families, right? But I think for families there's too much going on so I can't see who's going to buy this seven year old kids might like the artwork but they're not going to like the gameplay and proper gamers aren't going to like the artwork and 
I'm not sure there's enough in the gameplay. It's fiddly without being complex, if you like. I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling for this game at all. It seems like maybe it's a solid Euro. I just don't know what the target audience is. So I'm going to go trap. Well, for me, I didn't hate the artwork, but it doesn't it doesn't light me up. It's, it's not brilliant. What I did find interesting, as I said in my intro to the game, was that worker placement mechanic. The ability to block people off and stop people maybe getting their goals. That's interesting to me. I think you're right, Ronan. There is a lot to think about if it's going to go down the family game market. But I do think that it's all sort of ordered and sectioned off so it makes it easy i mean you do have planning ahead and what turn order and what market what reward but it's all has its little section that you make that decision you're not making it all in one go you just have to have a general idea of where you want to go so i think but, but i think all this ties is too complicated for a family Possibly. For the family market. It's, there's too much going with too many little exceptions and you can sell if you've got that but you can't if you've got that and things you have to just keep track of. I think the game will almost keep track of itself. Do you have a lot of time to think about these things? The market only changes every so often. So I get what you're saying but I think there's going to be a little bit more to it. And I like the fact that you have options when you run out of main actions to do that you can increase the marketability of your car or just get yourself some more money for the next round. So I, I, quite, I quite like that. It's, it's forgiving, but mm, is it a treasure or trap? It's a trap for me. I will definitely have a look at it when I'm over there. I think it might be another failure from Christian Amundsen. It used to be after Doodle City didn't really set the world alight last year. I think that's the kind of feeling I'm getting about this one so it's a trap but I'm definitely going to have a look at it okay so the last game for this little section is coming from Stronghold Games in English it's Porter Negra it's from the Kramer and Keesling design duo who are responsible between them for well I'll give you a little list of what between them they have had a hand in Tikal, Vikings, Torres, Palaces of Carrara Java, Asara, El Grande, Colosseum Hacienda, Sealand, Cavum Nauticus, shall I carry on going on and on or not bother? I won't bother then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like I say, Stronghold Games are bringing this one out. In it, up to four players, take the role of Roman officials who are building the major cities within the ancient Roman city, which is now near Trier in Germany. Players are going to be buying bricks, placing building elements taking influence tokens, taking torch tokens or taking coins and that's going to allow them to move their builder around different quarters of the city and add their bricks to the different major buildings in the city which are being built and you're doing this by playing one of two action cards from your hand each turn and that action card will obviously limit you in what actions you can do it'll limit you on where your master builder is is where you can build obviously in the city and what buildings you can add to and it uses the cool bits from Torres to actually create 3D representations they don't actually look like cities but show you how much progress has been made on each area so it's played over three different rounds and at the end of each of the three rounds there's scoring and at the end of the game there's going to be scoring again and you're going to get scoring basically once after someone's played the 15th building is what happens and you're going to get scoring for how well you've added to the major buildings in the city. It is heavily a Euro. Why I'm so interested in it is it's around two hours of play. 
from the playtesting and the, and the gathering of friends and what have you, it sounds like it's a real tight and heavier game. It's beautiful with Michael Menzel art. It's got absolute pedigree. So clearly I am excited about it. Sean? It definitely looks like an interesting game, Ronan. It just screams Kramer and Keesling. You've got constructing buildings. You've got majorities. You've got action points. It's just... It's what they're all about, and they do it very, very well. I think every year you've just you've got to take notice of what they bring out. You might not eventually buy it, but you've got to take notice of it. The master builder mechanic seems really interesting. That stands out to me when you can only build in the area that the master builder's in. That's going to lead to some very tactical decisions. Yeah, reports are that, it, as Ronan said, that it's going to take at least two hours on your first go. So I'm thinking about an hour and a half once you get used to it. And that's a, that's a nice time frame for me. So Ronan, I'm just going to go ahead and say that this is a definite treasure. It looks great. I think the 3D buildings are striking, stand out and make the game pop from the sea of other games around it. So, yeah, treasure. Yeah, their games are never less than interesting. There's always something going on there. They fit into my wheelhouse. As much as Dice City didn't earlier, because I don't like that style of game, I like their style of game. Do I always love their releases? Not always. Passes of Cryo was a slight miss for me, but then you bring it back with the likes of Java and Viking and even Sealand Cavern. So many that I love that always, always a pair of designers to look out for, whether they're designing together in collaboration with someone else or even by themselves. So Porta Negra for me is a strong treasure. Okay, moving on, I'm going to talk about a game from Eagle Griffin Games, and that is Loop Inc., designed by Scott Arms. And he did uh, one of Ronan's favourites of the year, Harbour. Leave it. <laughs> he did the tiny epic range of Martian dice as well. Plays one to four players in about 45 minutes. This is a time travel game with programmed moves and hand management. So players work for this Loop Incorporated, which is a time travel agency. And they're a bit shady. They prioritise money over the space-time continuum. You play over the same day three times over. So think Groundhog Day style, where you're just going to keep revisiting the same day. And you're going to travel through time before restarting that same day again. The player is just made up of a, a row of cards that are going to give you certain actions. They upgrade your time machine. You get various things to add to it. Armor, wheels, cameras. You can advertise. You can trash equipment. There's a few other things. But that's basically what you can do. You also have a row of cards that are going to represent either pivotal moments in time or general eras in history. And you're going to be able to travel to them. And you're going to have to meet certain requirements to travel to them. As I said before, armor, camera and a net maybe to go and travel to the declaration of independence i don't know anyway so on the first day the player is going to take three turns you're going to select three action cards and perform them in the order and then what you're going to do on the second day when you go back you're going to have two time machines because you've obviously come back in one and you've still got the one that you had from the first day you now have to use the original three actions in the same order 
Now you can do another three actions. They can go in any order you want, as long as the original three stay in the same order. Then on the third day, or the third version of the same day, you're going to have six actions that you've previously done, and you must do those six actions in that order and add the three actions wherever you want. What I should say is also every day the space and time continuum gets fractured or something and two new actions will come out for round two and two more will come out in round three and they make the game a little bit more interesting. But other than that, it's just planning and making sure you plan from the start and yeah, that's Loop Inc. So it is from the designer of the Tiny Epic Games mm. and Harbour. Harbour, yep, yep. And as popular as those games might be in certain <laughs> that does ring alarm bells in my head. I think that the artwork fits the kind of zany, in quotation marks, theme. But how can anyone still be designing a snaking, looping scoreboard in today's day and age? I quite like this. I quite like that. You've upset me. The impossible to follow. <laughs> Ridiculous scoreboard. It's well, going you can't tell where you are. It's of history. But it doesn't just like go up and it goes up. Right, down, up, right, down, left, up, left, quirky. down, right. Quirky. I just, you're getting the look, Sean. <laughs> I know I You am. know you're in trouble. I am All in right? trouble. My yeah. head's gone down and I'm off All to right. the bedroom. Probably time to start behaving right now. <laughs> you can't have a scoreboard like that. No. You take Loopy. umbrage at the weirdest things. Sometimes. Oh, I hate that scoreboard. <laughs> anyway. I'm a grumpy old man, alright? I know how scoreboard's supposed to look, and it's not supposed to look like that. Okay. I'll tell you what I do like. I love the idea of the repeated actions. I love the fact that they're programmed in. You're going to have to plan ahead all three of your moves. I love that the rulebook's available. Did they mention the structure of the game enough? In fact, did they mention everything enough? I feel like I was in looping reading the rulebook. It's, it's lovely. It's very it's, thematic. It's, it's, They've put a lot of effort in, but they really do drill home certain points. And I think that that space, if it had been used on examples, may have been slightly better used. You've told me there's a 369 structure. You've told me probably 369 times. Perhaps just put a gameplay example in, and then we'll all be ticking along and happy as Larry. I think it sounds interesting. I've said that 400 times, because interesting, I think, is the right word for it. The only problem I can see is that it might be a slight rules bump because it's a short game, but it looks to me like in order to play well, you're going to have to kind of get the idea of how it works and how these new actions come in and where you can create the rifts in time which cause you problems and the fact that oh yeah, I can't launch that because I've done this. and you know There's a bit to think about there, more so than the game time might suggest, but I'm hopeful that it's worth the effort. It seems like a cool little puzzle will every game be different enough i hope so but this one i actually think looping is a treasure Ooh, i didn't expect that from you not not with mr arms i can see what he's been trying to do with these games <laughs> i mean just because i didn't like them it doesn't mean they were all awful didn't like is a bit light for harbour well it's a tiny epic i didn't really like it was Okay. Yeah, tiny. Yeah, I, I, I kind of wish it does epic. what it does. You know, it's got the funny and the cows and the yeah, but. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, so. so for me, I think it looks like there's going to be really simple choices at first, and not, 
when I started looking at this, I thought, oh, it's a bit too simple, those choices. But then I realised, actually, the simple choices are there for a reason, because it is going to get quite confusing towards the end, and you're going to get more options. So I like that. I like that. There's an arc to it. I think everything is just going to feed into that attempt to get the right order of moves in that third round. Is it going to cause a lot of AP running? I think it will. I think there's going to be a lot of people deliberating, especially from that second round onwards and thinking about the third round and thinking of what they can't and can do. I think it might be a little bit too easy to block in this game by just going to their desired locations. You know, you can see quite easily, I think, what people are building towards because it's all in the middle of the table you can see that visiting ancient egypt to meet the pharaoh you need a net and a camera and wheels and if somebody's buying a net and a camera it's obviously they might be going for that so it's easy to block them which makes them if they really want to visit they have to break the space-time continuum or something i actually like the artwork and i actually like the score track so boo right. sucks to you but i think it's going to be a little bit too thinky for the rewards you're going to get. So for me, it's just landed on the side of trap. But again, it's another Ooh. one that I'm really interested in. Mm. There, there go. we go. Yeah. Okay. Here's another one, which I think might be slightly fancy for us. We could go either way. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> it's Nippon. It's the new game from the designers of Madeira and Panamax, Paolo Soledade and Nuno Sentiero. In the game, players are Zibatsu, that's foreign investors. So when Japan opened up, they invited in foreign industrial experts into the country to establish the industry, teach them and sort of bring westernization into Japan and they end up becoming some of them very very wealthy individuals and making lots and lots of money and becoming sort of integral to certain parts of the industry interesting because I've seen the odd documentary about this so automatically this caught my eye the board is of Japan it's split into four areas with very much abstracted spaces for development everyone starts with one factory and you have in individual tableau away from that main board which shows Japan for you to track what's going on in your business empire. The whole game is driven by the choice of action tiles. Now these action tiles you purchase from your own row of them and how much they cost is based upon where they are in the queue. So the left hand most one will be free for example and they get more expensive over to the right. If you want to do the left hand most action that's great, take it. It's going to be the cheapest for you in one way but if you really feel like you need to take one other action you'll buy that one and the, whichever one you use gets put over to the right hand side becomes the most expensive and you can shuffle them along. As you develop your industry during the game you're going to be able to get better versions of those action tiles out you can be able to specialize and start going down certain routes i think i don't think everyone's going to be able to be a generalist not entirely sure on that there are goods which you can manufacture which you can sell which goes into a dynamic market when you sell it makes that good worth less but the other goods worth more so they all affect each other in terms of appeal the designers state that they're aiming for a simple rules overhead with lots of interlocking systems. Before I go into my final thoughts on that, does that sound like Madeira and Panamax to you, Sean? Are you excited? Are we ready to rock on this one? See now, what's your game? They're kind of always on my radar. So you like you got Vinyas and, as you said, Madeira. They're always on the radar for Essen, but something just puts me off about them. I think it's just the bland, dull 
artwork that just accompanies all their games. Panamax? Yeah, it's bland, it's dull, it's boring hey, looking. Star. No, no. It is, it's busy, On the, the board's busy, but it's just, yeah, it just doesn't appeal. Busy doesn't... and bland. Yeah, but the board in terms of the colours is bland, but there's just, there looks to be like there's so much going on in terms of spaces you can interact with. You know, it's been a long week and I'm in a grumpy mood. I'm going to be picking you up on all this. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. <laughs> but this one takes bland to a new level. Ah, oh, come on. Just, come on. A little bit of I'm not sure here. that I've actually seen final component pictures. I've seen, no, you, you've seen near final. Yeah, near that, final, right? it looks terrible. And I'm hoping there's a big jump to final. But the box just looks bland. It's not going to... St- out and but th- that's not saying it's a bad game it's just I think that's the reason why I just don't get round to these games other things catch my eye you know what I'm like I'm a magpie oh look at the pretty I'm going over there and these ones just get left behind a little bit again there's nothing about Nippon on their website other than a coming soon yeah there's a blog spot link which has literally like three photos yeah on there's it. three photos with no real captions, nothing about the games, just like, yeah, this is shot. In fairness, I think if we spoke Portuguese, there'd probably be more information out there. It sounds to me that there's actually quite a lot happening. Now, they're saying this is fast-paced, but developing your industries and buying into new industries and so much going on for 90-minute time frame, that sounds a bit on the small side to me, so I'm wondering if that's going to eke up to two, two and a half hours, but Again, we don't really know because nothing really out about it. Treasure trap? <sighs> trap. If you're going to aim a game at me, if you say simple rules overhead, deep decisions, interactive, two hour Euro, I'm going to go two hours well. I'm not sure about the 90 minutes. You know, we're dinging my bells, aren't we? I'm there. The only thing I say is that with Madeira and Panamax, they're pretty hard to teach. That does hold me back a little bit because. I tend to be teaching games and it's got to be really, really good for me to want to teach it again and again and again because I'll end up running the game for the first time people are playing and not able to really strategize properly. So it, it almost raises the bar a bit. When you make it difficult to teach, I've got to go, well, it's got to be really good then for me to put that effort in. Is Nippon going to be really good? I am actually pretty hopeful. I am going to teeter on the same fence as Sean and drop just the other side. And despite my grumpiness with Sean, I'm actually being quite positive about the games this this episode. I'm going to go treasure again for Nippon. Ooh. I know. Check me out. Now, Sean, that may not have got you excited, but there was a game in the list that I had no interest in. I wasn't going to look at, didn't care about, breezed over several times, and you selected it as one for us to look at. Yes, I did. Should we put people out of their misery? Go for it. It is Shakespeare from Istari Games, designed by Hervé Rigal. And it plays 1 to 4, and this is the strange one. It plays from 20 to 90 minutes. That's a big uh, old swing. Um. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure about that at all. What is it? It is an auction card drafting tile placement game that's set in the Renaissance period. Now, it's called Shakespeare... But there's kind of a tenuous link because what you are is you're a theatre manager in London trying to win the Queen's favour for the latest show by recruiting the best workers in 
including actors, craftsmen, jewellers, etc. And they're going to help you make your play the best one in London town. You're going to play over six days. You're going to start off each day with a wager. You're going to place counters down and players are going to choose the number of actions they're going to play this round in. Which I found really interesting. And the person that's going to do it in the fewest actions gets a special bonus. And also the people who are fewer start the turn order. So the person with the most is going to go last. And then you're going to move into recruiting these actors and tradesmen. There's all sorts. There's costume designers. There's set designers. And these all guys all do different things. Like Obviously, the costume designers are going to costume your actors, which are going to give them bonuses. The set design itself is a tile-laying game in and of itself, where you have to lay them symmetrically and you have to stack them with two supporting one. This is all done where players going to get a set player board for themselves which so shows their stage. There's going to be a main board with things like prestige and the day count initiative tracks and act tracks going on. There's a big stage to each of th- these days. We're talking about ambiance, dress rehearsals, all going on. Say, say that first word again. Ambiance. Oh, not ambience. It's, come on, it's French. Ambiance. <laughs> well, John, with Shakespeare. <laughs> it's a French game. I'm just glad that the French have made a game about a proper play. And <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's the Rugby World Cup hasn't even started yet, and you're France bashing. This is not not acceptable. <laughs> Ronan, Shakespeare. Action point allowance. Tick. Auctions, tick, card drafting, tick, tile placement, tick. Look at the mechanics, I went, oh, oh, hello. I looked at the designer. It's his first design. Mm. First big design, anyway. Mm. Theme is interesting. Always one for promoting different sorts of themes and games. But it didn't grab me, which is probably the reason why, you know, when you're looking at that huge S and this, you got to make snap decisions. It just didn't come up at all. Then when I started looking into it, there is a reason... Why I'm going to say this is a treasure, Sean, alright? Half to do with the game, half to do with the website. <laughs> this is the um, the jaded old Essen head who's trying to scrape together information like on Nippon, like on Castellian, like on a few other games to try and put something together for our listeners. And then you hit the Shakespeare website. Holy moly, schmoly to Crowley. <laughs> Did it impress you? Is what is there? There is the best games website to promote a game that has ever existed. Are you going to tell us why? It's everything. Think about it, and it's there. Moving parts, things you click on that tells you stories, all the rules, obviously, examples, the characters in the game telling you why they're in the game and what they do, explanations of how the scoring works. It's just, it's brilliant. Anyone's going to play this game with me, I'd say, click on this link, have a look, you'll know what you're doing. Ten minutes later, you'll know exactly, don't, I won't even have to mention a rule to you. We'll just play. Yep, it's, it's pretty impressive. It's fantastic! I feel like giving a star in my money just for doing this. Just for being professional. Last episode, we had a go at Istari for messing up the changes in Sherlock Holmes Consultant Detective, so credit where credit is due. They've done a brilliant job with this, with the website, with getting information out there. If you're going to Essen, you know exactly what you're going there to get. 
In terms of the game itself, I think it looks like a, a around 60 minutes. Strange playing time around 60 minutes. Light to medium weight Euro. For some reason, it keeps reminding me of Fresco. Not necessarily in exactly the same play, but that sort of weight presentation. It's heavily into Euro nonsense in terms of scoring points with like you have to rest your characters and you have to have symmetry in your set design and stuff like that. Pure Euro doesn't really make any sense at all. It's just a way to score points. But I like the puzzle aspect it lends to it and they've charmed me with their belief in this game which has made me believe in it. So like I said, it's a treasure for me. Yeah, but Ryan, I concur with all you've said. They've really put a lot into this and it's a refreshing difference from some of the other Z-Man producers of games. I really like this wager mechanic. It affects the turn order, what characters are available to you for the next round. One of the things I didn't say is the characters that you use in one round all bar one of them are not available for the next round. So if you decide to take all five of your possible turns in this round, then you're going to lose a lot of characters for the next round. So it really interests me that I think there's lots to be mindful in the game. So there's little tiny games within the game. Really interesting. It seems like the options are going to increase. So you're going to have to plan more as the game moves forward. So again, it's a nice arc to it. It looks like one playthrough is going to be all you're going to need to understand this game fully. It doesn't look like it's going to be a hard game to learn or get into. And I think it's it's very accessible in that way, even though there is lots going on. The artwork's really nice, looks striking. And as Ronan said, Istari seemed to believe in this. So, yeah, same as Ronan, I'm going to believe in it too. So it's a treasure. So, the second to last game I'm going to introduce in this episode is Time Stories. This is a game in which the players are time-travelling agents running through a day in the past several times in order to solve some sort of mystery or problem or issue. Think Quantum Leap the board game but with absolutely cool art. This is from first-time designer Manuel Rosoy and from publisher Space Cowboys who have been making a splash recently like I like to say about new companies with Elysium and Splendor so they make nice games with nice pieces. This is very much a cross between a role-playing game and a board game. It's all about the experience. The game is scenario-based so you will get a location. You will choose a person at a location to time travel into and then you will play through trying to discover clues as to what's happened and how to solve the mystery in front of you. It is likely you will have to play through the scenario several times before you can answer all the questions and fully solve whatever the issue might be and each play of each scenario will be approximately 90 minutes each. Now in the base game it's only one scenario so there will be a certain number of plays of those 90 minutes and you'll be done with it. The scenario is called Asylum, so there's a problem in an asylum in an institute for mental health and the players will be going back and you'll be going into patients or members of staff and whoever you go into has got different strengths and weaknesses and you'll be attempting to interpret what's going on through their eyes and players are very much encouraged to take on the role of the character they're in when playing this game. 
There will be regular releases for the full system with different scenarios coming out set up in all different historical eras. They're lined up already, there's two or three ready to go. Like I say, it's very much immersive elements are important here and the story is very important. It feels to me kind of like having an escape room on your own dining room table. Sean, any thoughts on Time Stories? When I first started reading about this, the first game that came to me was fairly obvious because we've just reviewed it and we've been playing it quite a lot. That's uh, Sherlock Holmes, Consulting Detective. That kind of thing going on. I know a game that you've played that I haven't actually managed the game is Tragedy Looper. A lot of people are saying that it's it's got elements of that in it. So it's definitely something I'm interested in. I'm having just got into Sherlock Holmes and that deduction style game. I like the way that the game I think I I think it's got elements of both though, Sean. But yeah. very much more upon playing a character. In in Tragedy Looper it's a puzzle. I know you have got a character but it's a puzzle. And in Sherlock Holmes you're not even really a character, really, are you? No, no, you're not well. Apparently you're one of the irregulars, but You're yeah, a bit irregular. I tend to be. So one of the things it's not really something that I can judge the what I think of the game now, but one of the things that's gonna make me buy it or not buy it is the additions, as you say. I mean there is a, a finite end to this. Once you've played it ten hours on this, you're gonna have played that scenario and although Ronan tends to forget things, I tend to remember these games. So that's going to be the end of it for me. It's how much the additional scenarios are going to be. If they're of 25, 30 quid a pop, then I'm much, much more likely to say, no, you know what, this is a definite trap because I ain't playing that every time I want to play a scenario. If they were like 5, 10 pounds a pop, then yeah. They're not going to be that cheap. There's no way. Because there's several 90-minute plays in each scenario. Yeah, but that's something down the road to look at and maybe talk to when we're over in S and talk to Space Cowboys on, on their stand and say, listen, well, what, what are you going to pitch these at when you're going forward? But I like it. I like the thought of it. I like the fact that you are playing this character. I like having to work out the optimum way of doing everything, then having everything reset and trying to get going and streamline everything until you get to another challenge. Working together is always a big favourite of mine. Yeah, what's not to like? It's a really ambitious project and I completely applaud that. So I'm going to say it's a tentative treasure because I think there's a lot that could go wrong with this game. Oh. But I'm going to say tentative treasure. I didn't think you were getting a treasure here. Yeah. I think it's really, really hard to predict the quality. Mostly because we don't know anything about it and I imagine it's probably going to vary from scenario to scenario. Secondly, because it's going to be very group dependent. If you get a group that's into this sort of thing, who like this quasi role playing, like the game Android or getting really get into Dead of Winter games, and I can see them really, really enjoying the game. And if you've got a group that doesn't want to role play a bit, I just don't think it's going to be much fun at all. It can't be ignored. It's going to be a big release. It is something different. It looks absolutely stunning. People will be talking about it after Essen. For me, I'm going to come down the other side, Sean, and I'm actually going to say, for me, for who I play with, for how I like to play a game, I'm going to go trap. There's not going to be enough game in this. So now you've surprised me. I thought you'd be all over this. Isn't it nice we could still surprise each other? <laughs> After all these years. And not just with physical abuse. That's, 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 well, that's that's never surprising, really, is it? true. Next!
Okay, so we are moving to Argentum Verlag, and their release for Essen this year is Antarctica, designed by Charles Chevalier, and two to four players, 45 to 90 minutes range. This is set in the future amidst a crisis where the sea level is rising fast and resource consumption is, is just way too much. Mankind is forced to heavily invest in polar research. Players are going to take on the roles of these hardy research scientists in Antarctica by building research centers and mining resources. So what you've got here is a board split into eight sections and you have randomized research buildings in all these eight sections. And you've got a sun counter that is going to move anti-clockwise around the board. And in the middle of this board you also have a research track. So the general gist of this game goes something like this you have scientists and ships on the board each time the sun is going to move around it's going to thaw the ice out and the player who has the first ship in the queue of that section can now move that boat to any other section on the board where they join the back of the cube they're going to carry out one of the actions available in that section so you can build a building you can recruit scientists, you can build a ship, you can advance on the research track as I mentioned in the middle of the board. The game seems to be about managing your resources, moving your additional ships and scientists into your supply then subsequently onto the board, manipulating your ships and scientists to make your turn as productive as possible and at the end of the game you're going to score each area in terms of area control the number of scientists and you're going to score for things like position on the research track and buildings that you have managed to build antarctica ronan talk to me about that rule book <laughs> so i was gonna start charles chevalier <laughs> right joint design of abyss we all know i like that masks wakanda interesting games but not all his games are solid he the guilds of cadwallon I didn't mind Gills of Cadwallon. It was decent. It was decent. So, interesting. Interesting design. I want to kind of keep an eye on, right? Argent and Valag always make nice games. Nice components. So, you're going to be sure that physically it's going to be nice. I think I read the rule book. I may have had some sort of brain disruption in between the words hitting my eyes and, and it cognitively processing. I'm so glad that you said that because I actually thought I was going mad when reading this. I actually said it, I phoned you up and said, can you look at this for me? I think I've lost the plot. Sean, it just, it tried to sear rules directly into my brain. It didn't kiss me first, it didn't take me out for dinner, didn't hold my hand, it didn't explain what was going on, <laughs> it just went straight in there. Rules! Rules in your head! Listen to the rules! What? <laughs> I'm very confused. <laughs> I don't really know what's going on. What are you talking about? Do this, do that. Move this. That's going to do this. It's that card. Make four of those cards. Make a stack of those. If it's two players, don't do that. If it's three players, do that. If it's four players, move those to there. Move those. Take those eight buildings. Put those there. Do this, do that. Right. That's what happens. That's what happens. That's what happens. That's yeah, what happens. And also, but a lot of the rules. It's telling you the rules, but it's not telling you half of the rules. Like it's saying, you move your ship to the target area. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's I that's on page know. two. Like it doesn't. If I know it's in setup, it tells you <laughs> the ship's gonna move to target area. What? Yeah. I don't. Oh, I don't. Oh. I haven't set the is game that, up yet. Is that is that where the sun is? Is that where the sun is? But, no, no, it's not. It's not. Hey, what? During setup, it tells you what you're gonna have. 
So at game end, you'll have what? I don't. Oh, I don't know what I have now. I don't know what to do with these things. So how can I possibly know what I'm gonna have? I reckon it's probably a good game. I reckon it's probably a good middleweight Euro. Here's the bad news for it. It's in a sea of middleweight Euros. And that first impression is not good. I hope they've got a bigger booth area this year so they can give more demonstrations. I hope they've got good booth people who can teach the game well and that people get beyond the fact that the rule book is... It's like walking out for a snowball fight and, and just getting pelted with an avalanche. <laughs> like, what? What? Huh? <laughs> what happened? Where are we? Where's it coming from? I don't understand. It's not presented well. I hope it doesn't hamper it too much. But again, when you're coming out of Essen with so many games, yeah, you, you have to do something. Stick your head above the parapet. And Antarctica. I'm sorry. I just, I, I can't be bothered to fathom the game, and it's a trap. Well, for me, Argentum Verlag, they've kind of been the sleeper hits of Essen. They've been the games that I've not quite decided on while I've been there, i.e. Yunnan and then El Gaucho last year. Games that I've actually enjoyed subsequently, but not really realised how much I would enjoy them while I've been there. So this year I made a point of searching out the big Argentum Verlag release. And again, as you said, Ronan, the production is good as always. I thought the board was a little bit bland and functional rather than the usual artistic But I look. think that's because there's lots of different bits. Yeah. Lots I of think wooden bits of different shapes, up, different yeah. colours. Yeah. And you have to be able to see what they do. Yeah. Yeah. I think. <laughs> I can't be sure of anything. The rule book, not only was it difficult to read, but there's actually mistakes in it where people have actually pointed it out and they've just gone, you know what, we're not printing it again, so it'll go with the mistakes. <laughs> so, all right, yeah, I understand you're close to us and you can't do another print run, fair enough. <sighs> yeah, it's almost like there was no way of them to put in that rule book out beforehand yeah, before it no, went they, to yeah, the printers. Absolutely. As <sighs> soon again. as they posted that on Board Game Geek... The first three comments under it were like, you've made a mistake here, can you explain but, but this But that to always me? happens. You've got a community of thousands of geeks. It's, you've got a free resource there. Use it. Put the rule book up. It will be corrected for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was actually how I learned the game. From going on that forum and seeing what people had asked Argentum Verlag and Charles Chevalier and getting the responses that's how I actually learned the game, not from the rule book, because the rule book just it beat me, it defeated me. I just got myself in such a tears, which is why I phoned you in tears, crying, saying I'd never look at another rule book. You're again. a gentle soul. I have a gentle soul, but yeah. it kind of reminded me of a cross between Helios and Aquasphere, with the stuff that's going on in the sections. Is it going to be anywhere close to being as good as those two? It's difficult. I'm going to say it's a treasure because I've been wrong about Yannan. I was wrong about El Gaucho. And I'm going to say it's treasure because I have faith in Argent and Verleg. So we're going to finish off on a tiny, tiny little indie release that you may not have heard of. Because this one is Seven Wonders Duel. Designers Antoine Bowser and Bruno Cathala. It's from Repos Games to do Antoine Bowser's games. Anton Browser being the designer off all the other Seven Wonders releases. Bruno Cattella came in here to make a two-player special version of Seven Wonders. 
It is, this is taking 30 minutes. It it's same as Seven Wonders, card drafting and set collection. And it has got lots of things in common. You go through three ages, you draft cards. You've got wonders to build. The colors of the cards are the same. Green is for science, red is for military. The money economy, all the same as Seven Wonders. But there are obviously differences to make it work as a two-player game. For example, in terms of military, the war is no longer... It wouldn't work, would it, if you're just tokens backwards and forwards. It's now a push-pull on a track. That as you push towards your opponent's capital by getting military cards, you cost your opponent money, and if you get all the way to the capital along this track, you get an instant military victory. There are also scientific cards, and it's a possibility to get an instant science win if you collect all six off them, but collecting sets of two will allow you to get progress tokens which are going to give you bonuses as you play the game. In terms of how you actually draft the cards, well depending upon the age, the cards are laid out in different shapes, starts with the pyramid in age one, and you can only take cards from the bottom row. But once the two cards supporting the card above are taken, that card flips and becomes available for you to take. You can still, with the cards, either build them into your tableau, take them for money or add them to a wonder. The game comes with 12 wonders and there'll only be 8 available in each game so there's some variety there. In terms of the progress tokens there'll be variety, there'll be more than is needed for one game so that will make things different. The uh, last thing is when you take resources you can buy resources still but not directly from your opponent, you have to always pay the bank. But the more of a resource that your opponent has, the more that resource is going to cost you. So if I have four wood, it's going to cost Sean two plus four just to buy one bit of wood for him to build. So you can get monopolies, as you might have seen in the video previewing this, on different types of resources and make life difficult for your opposing partner. Card drafting, three ages, building wonders, all the goodness from seven wonders for just two players. Sean. Ronan. Seven Wonders Jewel, tiny little release that it is. I want to buy this, right? Let's not let's not be silly. Of course, I'm going to buy it. I've got a little bit of a worry though. The military and science quick wins. Are they going to be too combative? Is it going to be too anticlimactic? If someone wins quite early in the game, I oh, know it's not going to be that early, but quite early in the game. It looks to me like the instant wins are going to be quite difficult. With how long that military track is, it comes in three areas, but there's several spaces on the areas. I think the military victory is going to be over a long time. I literally don't think it's going to be possible. Possibly not even possible in the second age. In terms of the science victory, well, all it takes is for you to draft... What I, th I think if you take just one science card, it prevents the ultimate science victory. That's my understanding of it. Whether that's true or not, again don't know we haven't got exact rules yet but i think there are six science cards in there but i think and there might be two one, of each yeah two each of three symbols so one person's got to get all the science cards i'm not sure that's going to happen but not yeah, very often does it lessen choice in the terms of if you know somebody is building up military or somebody's got the first few science cards you've got to take a science or you've got to take military i, I think that's where the spatial aspect might come in you know, is it possible? And again, this is all just supposition. We don't know. We haven't played the game. But is it possible then, if I'm going heavy on military and I know you have to grab military cards, is it, I'm not likely to get that win. But can I manipulate the shape of where we're drafting so that when you take the military card, you make something valuable available to me? Yeah. 
There's no. things like that, yeah. The spatial aspects of the drafting to me sounds quite interesting. It's they tried to do it in Valley of the Kings, but I felt like the pyramid was just too small. There's only six cards in it. You take one of three. That I felt was very limited. I didn't enjoy that. Yeah, and I was watching a video of the Antoine and Bruno with W. Eric Martin, and they were talking through the game, and I, yeah, it was interesting. I wasn't completely sold. And what kind of did sell it for me was the addition of the progress tokens that Ronan talked about. I think that's a much needed extra element, and I like the way they have changed the buying resources. Everyone uh, said it's linked to the amount that your opponent has. I, I, that's that's what sort of just tipped the balance into definite buy for me, rather than I'm probably going to buy it anyway because it's Seven Wonders. It's a two-player game. I'm always interested in two-player games. So uh, just to sum up for me, I think it's something I love seeing is clever adaptations of games when somebody doesn't just go in and take that seven wonders like i know it's antoine bowser's own baby anyway but he hasn't just said oh, i'm just going to use the seven wonder license and i'm going to make a cheap two-player game that's going to be okay he hasn't they, they've really thought this through they've changed things they've tweaked things and they've made it look like it's actually going to work as a two-player game. And I love seeing that when somebody uses their craft to do that. So for me, all day long, it's a treasure. Just take my money. Yeah. <laughs> Just take my money. Treasure. That's it. 100%. This and Pandemic Legacy going in the bag. No, no doubt. Okay, there's our first 12 games for our Essen uh, treasure hunt. We hope we've given you some food for thought with them, Ronan. Yep, we hope uh, you like our opinions on them. You'll get more opinions coming in the next few weeks with regards to releases for Essen. We also hope to be doing one or two normal episodes, more likely one than two, between now and this as well, because we don't want to flood the airways just with previews of the show, but we are very excited. There are lots of games coming, and we are just desperate to share our thoughts on them. Absolutely. We are squeeing, I think is the word. So, as always, you can find us on the Dice Tower Network, along with the very best in gaming podcasts, we are also very proud members of 2d6.org where you can find written audio and visual gaming goodness of the highest caliber. You can find us at Twitter where we are at Game Pit Podcast. We're also on Facebook. Pop along there to see what we're talking about. We have a Board Game Geek Guild and we love to hear your opinions on the shows, the games we covered or anything really you want to chew the fat on. We can be emailed on thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com and we are also on Stitcher, so come and find us on that. Mm-hmm.